Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust us, it will be a good time. Yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Katie, how do you feel about the election? It was last night. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I I think I've started since I was 18 years old. I just like sit in my closet all night without my phone because I am a nervous wreck. Every single election day, whether or not my state is involved, I get so anxious on election day. I just like, I can't even check results. I got to wake up the next day and open the paper because <laughs> I get so nervous all the way throughout. I mean, even like local elections or county elections or stuff like that, I've always been very active in those. Mm. I become like a bundle of nerves over. I feel like it's the opposite for most people who are a bundle of nerves over like presidential elections. But for me, it's like, oh gosh, I just really hope this person wins city council. Like I really like them, you know? I'm glad you said that because I feel like I know more people on like the local level. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, well, I don't like either candidate for president, so I'm just not going to vote at all. Like, okay, well then just go to the polls and don't vote for the president Vote for everybody else, like vote for your senator, your representative, your governor, your your local alderman, because those, in my opinion, are the ones that really matter because those people know you and they're intimately familiar with you. It makes me so nervous for two reasons, like local elections. I'm like, huh, I know these people and I like these people and I know that they're qualified because I personally know them. And then mm-hmm. like in the, in the big picture, like when it's a presidential election year, everybody like hates each other and is like nasty all over social media. And, and I just try to avoid it because I don't want to, like, have my opinion of people that I like changed, if that makes sense. Like, if I like somebody who's not in a similar political mindset as me, I don't want to get on there and see them being nasty and be like, okay, well, when they say they hate conservatives, do they think about me? Like, do they yes! Hate me? And, I, and I just don't want to look at it. And, and I don't want to be tempted to say something that, that might provoke them into thinking the same thing. You know what? It's just so sad how, like, vicious and violent people can get over elections And over politics in general, I mean, it makes me sad because it's oftentimes politics that they're completely disconnected from. There's certainly things in the past that have directly affected me, my family, that presidents have done, but it's mostly representatives in the state Congress that are doing things that affect me. Or sometimes it might be like the mayor of my town or someone on city council who does something that really, you know, helps me and my family. I've never had any experience that I can think of where, you know, I was like, gosh, I'm just so glad that person was elected president versus I'm like, gosh, I'm just so glad that this person's my mayor, you know? Right. And, and I think that like so many people get so caught up in the nastiness of mm-hmm. politics and elections that they forget what a privilege it is to be able to have democratic elections. It's kind of like that meme when a third world country president wins 156% of the vote. But I think that we just like really take it for granted that we're able to go and cast our ballot and voice our concerns in a fair and free way. I think a lot of that gets lost in the in the tumult of politics. Lost in the sauce. Mm-hmm. The very nasty, oh. soupy sauce. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking of this, have you, I mean, I can think of experiences that I've had where people treat me pretty nastily because of my politics. Especially in environmental circles, I've had, you know, people just 
kind of roll their eyes at me and or dismiss my opinion or dismiss who I am before I even get started talking about what is meaningful. And I feel like there's just like such a lack of listening. It kind of gets discouraging for me. Have you had any experiences like that? Oh, for sure. I almost dropped out of college freshman year because I was like, this is a liberal echo chamber. Um, Mm -hmm. My opinion's not valued here. Of course, that took a really severe mental toll on me. And we've talked in several episodes, we've kind of alluded to the impact of being an environmental conservative because you're kind of catching flack from both sides, the impact that that has on mental health. And so with it being election day um, or around election day, when a lot of people were talking about mental health and wellness in terms of politics, we decided to have a whole episode where we flush out um, mental health and the toll of being a conservative environmentalist in particular. First off, I want to start out by talking about this article that was shared with us called How to Understand the Well-Being Gap Between Liberals and Conservatives. I'm going to butcher this name, but it's by Musa Al-Garbi, I think. Thank you, Musa. Thank you, Musa. Hopefully we're saying your name right. <laughs> it's in the American Affairs Journal. It's a very well-documented well-being and happiness gap between liberals and conservatives. There's a lot of data to back up that conservatives are generally happier than liberals are. I mean, I've had my own mental health struggles in my life, and I'm sure you have too, Katie. But just knowing that conservatives tend to be a little bit happier than liberals kind of makes me wonder, why is that? And why are we so much happier and hopeful, more hopeful than our liberal friends are? Okay, so... First of all, conservatives are happier, so the article highlights a consistent trend in happiness levels, where conservatives are generally reporting reporting higher levels of happiness and satisfaction and meaning in their lives compared to liberals. Hmm. This pattern extends across different age groups and geographic contexts. That kind of surprises me, because I would have thought for sure it would have been, you know, lower amongst younger groups that, you know, we've just seen you know, statistically speaking in the past, that younger folks, Gen Z in particular, the the audience most likely to listen to this podcast uh, and the show is typically the one that's, that struggles with mental health. So that's kind of surprising. Yeah. Maybe the reason why is conservatives tend to be a bit more religious than liberal people are. You could say that being religious, you know, blesses you with happiness or whatever. Based on the pure facts, if you're going to church every week, you probably have a much stronger sense of community than someone who's, you know, a liberal who's very isolated in a studio apartment in some big city is, you know? Right. Uh, I didn't think of that. Like the, the value of community it, like, and yeah. different, not different community networks that are pretty consistent and long term. You're a conservative by and large compared to. Yeah. And, and conservatives value stability. I value stability a lot. It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy novelty and stuff like that. It's just, you know, when you have these traditions and milestones and a life trajectory that's very clear and distinct and stable for you, you're probably going to feel a little bit more certain and confident in your life than someone who's who doesn't have that, you know? Mm, Okay. Also, another thing that the article suggests is that conservatives focus on personal responsibility and agency also contributes to their happiness. So we had an episode earlier about self-reliance as a conservative value. The emphasis that personal responsibility and accountability plays is that it gives us a sense of control over our lives versus um, kind of a little bit of a victim mentality that some liberals may be experiencing. Yeah, I I think that there's that that go-gettery attitude 
amongst yes. conservatives. I keep, I keep saying that word like it's a real word, but like a lot of conservatives are go-getters. And that's not to say that liberals aren't, but by and large, the majority of conservatives I know are like, I don't care. If I want it, I'm going to go work for it and I'm going to get it and I'm going to take it. and I'm going to make it the best thing ever. And I'm just like, wow, okay, well, do it then. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I was at the Republican caucus last year and um, and this year, and I was looking around and I was like, wow, I just feel like all of these people are very conservative and they're very confident that the work and the effort that they put in results in some sort of progress. Right. Yeah. I think it's probably because they have a little bit more, like a little bit less of a sense of futility. Back to the election, a lot of people feel like their vote is futile. You know, like, what's the point in even voting? And I hear that more from the left than I hear from the right. Yeah. Because conservative people believe that what they do matters and there's less of a sense of futility. And I feel like that's a really valuable asset when it comes to climate change. The left, on the left, what I see a lot of the time is it's a whole different form of an action. You know, the right struggles with denial as a form of an action, and the left struggles with kind of this belly up futility. They get stressed and scared, and so they flop over and are like, what's the point in doing anything at all if we're all just going to die? Yeah, I remember I went to a conservative campaign school in 2020 put on by the folks at the Leadership Institute. Shout out to the folks at the Leadership Institute. Great conservative campaign school. Um, Mm -hmm. And they had said something to the effect of um, liberals love to tell you that, that, you know, voting in an election is a lost cause. Let them believe that and then tell all of your conservative friends to go vote. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think that like that, that instance in particular, like really highlighted the, okay, well, if you're going to think that there's like no point on your side, I'm going to bring my friend and their friend to, to the polls when we go vote and we're going to make sure that our voices are heard. So, and I think that that like very much sets up the dichotomy and, and conservative and liberal attitudes like the we're gonna fight to the very end no matter what whereas liberals are kind of like man man and i'm like just go do something (laughs) (laughs) and like another thing that you're mentioning is um sorry actually my cat just walked across the keyboard (laughs) (laughs) you're bringing up something that's very pertinent to this article that we're talking about is the resilience to adversity conservatism and related factors to conservatism, like religiosity, sense of patriotism, often helps people make sense and respond constructively to things that are happening in their life, like inequality, regardless of what their social standing is. And and we've talked about this before, Hannah. I think that that, Mm -hmm. in and of itself, that adversity factor really helps to challenge this narrative of conservatives all being rich and having a whole lot of privilege, and you're wealthy because your dad was wealthy and your grandpa was wealthy, And I think that that really casts a shadow on the fact that a lot of conservatives are not wealthy. And if they are, a lot of them have earned it. There's a lot of blue-collar conservatives, immigrant conservatives, minorities conservatives, uh, senior citizen conservatives, young conservatives, all folks who, when you look at the stats, they're not wealthy. (laughs) And I think that a lot of that is because I, I think a lot of the liberal mentality these days is you're either born with it or you're not, and there's no real way to get it if you're not born with it. Whereas conservatives yeah. have the mentality of if I work really, really hard and I do the right thing, good things will come my way, which is, let's face it, that's the attitude of somebody who wins. And you know what? I feel like it's just so important in environmentalism to have that kind of a mindset, because if you believe in personal responsibility and you're resilient to adversity, you might be more likely to feel personally responsible for your carbon footprint and for what you are doing to the environment. It's just 
those two things are so interwoven versus a liberal might just be like, ah, oh, there's no point, you know, there's, mm. you know, there's no point in me doing anything. I am a victim of the system. The system, and not to say that systemic change isn't important, but systemic change doesn't come with a whole lot of individuals making a whole lot of individual change, right? Yeah, and this is something that we've also talked about a lot on this show that doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do is a hallmark of conservatism. It's not, mm-hmm. oh, but the planet's on fire. What's the point of even recycling this glass spaghetti sauce jar? It's not, I- I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, whether or not anybody recognizes me recycling my glass spaghetti jar. <laughs> like, I'm going to I'm gonna do it no matter what. Yeah. I'm wondering why liberal ideology makes people feel depressed. We've kind of talked about a sense of futility, the article highlights that intense political engagement can definitely impact people negatively, but I feel like liberals and conservatives are both engaging politically into somewhat of an intense level. Why do you think that liberals are less emotionally happy than conservatives are? I, I'm going to be completely honest. I think a lot of it lies in social media. And that's not mm-hmm. me saying, oh, don't go on social media. And then at the end of the show saying, be sure to check out a green team party radio on every platform of social media that's ever been. <laughs> that's to say, don't sit on your phone for eight hours and doom scroll on Twitter when you could be campaigning, writing a letter to the editor, contacting your member of Congress. And this is not to say that like, oh, this show's about anxiety and depression and things like that. And conservatives just don't have that. No, not at all. This show is to say the this episode in particular is to say, Conservatives face these things too, especially environmental conservatives. Because as we said earlier, you know, it's hard enough to be a conservative in a predominantly liberal age group, even harder when you choose to be an environmentalist conservative, because then you're going to get a lot of pushback from folks who should be on your team to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's to say that a lot of conservatives, I think mentally, because of the environment that you grow up in and the community that you grow up in, you've been exposed to different ways to handle that adversity and that challenge. And that's a a real long way to answer your question, Hannah. But I think that for a lot of young liberal folks, it's I'm going to sit on social media and comment something ugly on the profile of somebody that I don't even know. And then I'm going to belittle somebody and post a stupid meme. And there it is. Racism's been defeated. Climate change has been defeated because I Mm -hmm. trolled on Instagram all day long. And I think that like a lot of young people don't know how to make change. And the, yep, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, let's just call this Katie Soapbox. I will beat this dead horse like nobody's business, and I have for years. I think a lot of young liberal people are like, okay, I, I stood in the street and I made a poster for, for with materials from the dollar store. Yay, the bad thing has been defeated now. I don't have to do anything ever again. Whereas conservatives are like, I'm going to go to campaign school. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to be a staffer on the Hill. Like It's just two completely different mental avenues of how change is made. And I think that conservatives are really fortunate and that their ways of making change are long lasting, they're permanent, and they're usually in writing. I mean, anytime mm-hmm. there's a march or something like that, not that there's anything against them, they are one part of the bigger puzzle. But if that's all you do, they're not effective. And I'll ask a lot of my friends on the left, what are you, what are you marching for? What are you hoping to achieve at this march, no matter what the march is? And I get 500 different answers. And I'm like, what yeah. if you asked your state representative to write a bill or pass a law or what if you spoke at your next city hall instead of standing here for three hours drinking somebody's free water and chanting something that y'all made up on the way here in the car like how how is that conducive to long-term change 
And, and another not- thing is, oh yeah, oh yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I remember growing up, I used to go to a lot of like the environmental rallies and stuff, and I still sometimes attend them. You know, it's very emotional. People are crying, people are screaming, and they think that that should have some sort of impact, right? But <laughs> since I've been working with Citizens Climate Lobby, and since I've had more experience out in DC and also at the legislature here in Utah, I realized that representatives of Congress in, in Congress and our lawmakers are not that excited when someone's screaming at them. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> and so I feel like we did an episode a while ago about these really dramatic environmental kind of like protests, like the Just Stop Oil protests that threw tomato soup on a Van Gogh. It's very performative. And mm, yeah, I very, very glory seeking. Yeah. Yes. And that is very discouraging for environmental activists is to only engage in performative activism because Mm. nothing comes out of it. Not very much does. I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, you know, all performative activism is bad and nothing came from the just stop oil tomato soup thing. It did bring attention to an issue that's very important. In terms of like your own spirit, it kind of breaks it to Mm. invest so much and put so much on the line and get so wrapped up emotionally to do kind of very ineffective activism versus I think about my friend Ashley from when I lived in DC. She was one of my best friends. We both were very engaged in conservative activism together. And her approach to activism was what you're talking about, Katie. She went to every city town hall, Mm -hmm. spoke there, talked exactly to her representatives about exactly what she wanted. And she was running for office. I don't know exactly why liberals wouldn't do that as much. I think it's maybe because they don't have as much trust in, the, in you know, these institutions and systems because they see themselves as a victim of systems and institutions. Which, which is a so, never-ending cycle. Like, if you don't show yeah. up to make change because you think that you're a victim of the system, well, guess what? You're, even, even by that logic, you're going to continue to be a victim of the system because you're not doing things within the system to change these systems. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the Great Awakening. So... Katie, tell me a little bit more about what the Great Awakening is and what that means for mental health. Yeah, you had brought it to my attention about the Great Awakening, which is kind of a theory that suggests that liberals have become more aggressive in their political discourse after 2011. And a lot of conservatives may have also experienced an increase in this negative effect, um, which is really interesting because I, if in a few of my grad school classes, because I'm in a non-traditional program, I've heard from a lot of students who are older, and I say older, but like 40s and 50s, older than me, who were like, you know, I feel really bad for Gen Z and people in your generation because your entire life has been marked by like really disrespectful political debates mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature, like, like a lot of mudslinging. And it didn't always used to be like that. Like mm-hmm. I remember when people didn't interrupt each other during debates and you honored whatever the moderator was saying, like like you followed the rules. Reading that made me think of that, of, of people telling me that in school. So the Great Awakening, Awakening, just to clarify, Katie, is kind of this liberal hyper-engagement with social justice spheres. Diversity, equity and inclusion type stuff. Um, just this idea of like, politics looks a lot different for us than it might have looked like, like our whole worldview on politics has been formed through this like really aggressive lens, this mudslinging, disrespectful lens. Whereas mm-hmm. apparently, and don't don't ask me because I'm not forty or older, 
But a lot of folks who are 40 and older have told me, you know, it, it was different for us when we were your age, as opposed to yeah. the way it's now this hyper-aggressive political, like, mudslinging almost. Politics used to kind of stay out of your personal life, you know? I've seen a lot of the time, especially with, I don't want to sound, you know, transphobic or anything, but with the rise of pronouns and gender identities changing and stuff like that, it's become very personal. And not to, like, deny those people's experiences or anything like that, but I used to never have individual conversations about, you know, your own gender politics. But more and more and more, I feel like, you know, people are getting in very heated discussions about personal politics. I feel like there's no separation between like your political identity and your personal identity anymore. With conservatives being labeled as like morally problematic and immoral people, it kind of hurts mentally and emotionally to be labeled like that, right? I think it's because social media has become such an echo chamber that it's taught young people to only rule in absolutes. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely destroyed critical thinking or being able to have a civil disagreement with somebody. And I've noticed this anytime I talk to a conservative about it. Conservatives do not care what you do as long as you're not hurting anybody. Genuinely, they do not care. And it is a very, I don't care. I'm doing my own thing. You can do your own thing. If it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt you, great. It's when stuff starts getting shoved down your throat or when you disagree with somebody on the left and they're like, you're a racist, you're transphobic, you're a bigot, you're, you're a Nazi. And I'm like, really? Are you sure? Because my ancestors died in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. I don't think I'm a Nazi. But, and it's just, the, all of these words mm-hmm. become less powerful because they are being used so often and in the wrong context. And they don't do anything to add to the conversation in the first place. Like, if I'm going to have a discussion with somebody... It's not because I'm like trying to get intel on the left so that I can argue against you better. It's because I genuinely want to know where you come from so I can understand your point better. It doesn't make you right or wrong. It just makes you different than me. But thank God, because if everybody was like me, we'd probably all strangle each other. Yeah. A, a lot of young liberals are like, no, if you don't disagree with me, you're bad. You're wrong. And I'm always right. I can never be wrong. You're wrong and you're bad and I don't want anything to do with you. But, like, really? Because I don't vote for the same person as you at the ballot box? Like, chill, dude. Yeah, I definitely think it's sad because those kinds of conversations are happening with your siblings or with Mm. your cousins or other people. And they're very inflammatory. And they're also blanket statements, like you're saying, calling your friend who's conservative a Nazi or conservatives calling their liberal friends SJWs. And it's it's both ways. Don't get us wrong. There there are folks on both sides. And if you look at like YouTube and like the media, there's a lot of like SJWs getting owned by Ben Shapiro or conservatives. Like make a livable wage and like go to the doctor and not pay an arm and a leg for a cold. Like that's that's, like, like, can we not all be in agreement that (laughs) things are the things that matter? Like, like, I would, I would like to think that the average American, regardless of who you vote for, wants clean water to drink and not to pay $3,000 for a 300 square room apartment, you know, like every single month. Like, can we not just agree on the basics first? We agree on way more than we disagree on. For sure. It's just sad to see people making sport of politics. It's like it's like a horse horse race type of a thing. You know, mm-hmm. we're all betting on our favorite horse and then 
when it doesn't win, we blow up at our friends who bet on different horses that won. I think that's sad because now we have to put all this effort into taking care of our mental health as activists, as we're facing more political stress just in our daily lives. There's no privacy, it almost feels like. You had sent this article about, what, 90% of therapists and mental health professionals are liberal. So Mm -hmm. in addition to the stigma in a lot of conservative communities of, oh, I just got to tough it out anyway, even if you do Mm -hmm. seek help... (laughs) might end up with a therapist who has no idea what you're talking about, doesn't agree with a word that you say, and can't help you as professionally as a a therapist who sees eye to eye with you. We're all human. Like, even professionally, you have your preferences and your biases. I think back on the number of therapists that I have had who just, like, kind of sat there and stared at me while I, like, poured my heart out to a stranger and made myself vulnerable for an hour just for them to be like, okay, cool. Well, um, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I'm like, dude, what? Like, what am I, <laughs> what am I here for? What am I paying you for? If you don't yeah. like understand what I'm talking, like, why is the onus on me to tell my mental health? Hey, don't get worse while I go therapist shopping for somebody who like mm-hmm. understands or cares. Like, dude, that's your job in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's very sad because you, you want to be paying for someone who can listen to you deeply and not be questioning your line of thinking as you're talking very intimately and vulnerably about your experience, right? Especially for a lot of these low-income conservatives. And and obviously, anybody who's been listening to the show for some time knows that that is my soft spot. It's low-income, blue-collar folks, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, because I do believe that they are the most vulnerable in our society. They will get dunked Mm -hmm. on by society nonstop. In my household, there was the stigma and the money problem of I I did not see a therapist, definitely should have, went through a lot of stuff that somebody under 18 should not have, watched a sibling die, grew up in a low-income neighborhood, didn't get to see a therapist until it was part of my college tuition plan. And even then, they're seeing 400 other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they got 30 seconds to look through my file before I walk in. And then to know that on top of all of that, they still might not see eye to eye or be able to help me as thoroughly as they would help a liberal counterpart who walked in right after I did. You you know, the odds are really stacked against you. And I think that goes back to that adversity, that resilience that we talked about earlier in a world that no longer agrees with conservatives. We have really had to come up with crafty ways to, to survive, to do more than Mm -hmm. survive, to thrive because the the ball game's against us. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that my university does is something called climate grief circles. This was really helpful for me because as someone who's, you know, experiencing a lot of political stress, being a conservative in the environmental sphere, and then also studying climate science is a very hard subject to, to study because it's just very emotionally taxing. One of the things we want to talk about is how to take care of yourself. Finding a community that really is like-minded to you and understands your grief around your identity is really helpful. I just remember going to these climate grief circles. I wasn't the only person who was conservative there, and I became really close friends with this conservative environmentalist friend I have. It was really helpful because as a conservative, I really value family, and I've always wanted to be a mother and you know have a bunch of kids because that's what my family did. But then with climate change, I'm not sure that if I can do that, you know? that level of grief was just so difficult to explain to my liberal friends who weren't interested in having children and didn't understand why this was a morally complicated question for me. And so I feel like if you find a like-minded community, 
you can feel a lot of relief and there's a little catharsis in that for me at least. Another part of that is don't feel like you have to cap your life plans or your life potential because mm-hmm. of a changing climate. And that sounds kind of crazy, but every time I hear this from somebody, it kind of blows my mind when somebody's like, well, the planet's getting hotter, so I'm not going to have kids. Do you think mm-hmm. the planet's going to stop warming up if you don't have kids? Like, don't make yourself even more miserable because of things outside of the realm of your control. In fact, have kids and let that motivate you to be an even better environmentalist than you were before. So many people look at it as a glass half empty situation. Bad stuff is Mm going to happen no matter what. Even if we had a perfect climate, guess what? There's still war. There's still famine. There's still economic depressions and recessions. Live your life to the fullest and do your best to help the world around you. Don't feel like you have to deprive yourself of joy and hard-earned plans because of stuff you can't control. So many people genuinely cap what they want to do in life because they're worried about tomorrow and they don't enjoy today. Absolutely. Please stay quite present in the moment. That's one thing that I really learned from this was that there is no reason why I should limit myself on what I want just because of climate change. The next thing that we want to talk about as it pertains to self-care is being able to build a bridge with people who disagree with you. This is kind of something that you might want to practice on a small scale first, right? (laughs) Go to that Thanksgiving dinner with a very liberal family member and just practice open-minded listening, right? If you have to take a few breaths and clench your fists together a little bit, do it. Um, There's definitely people that you're going to disagree with, but if you can find common ground, like you're talking about clean air and clean water, and you can just exist in that space and relish that space with that person who is very opposite from you politically, you can maybe find a friend, maybe find someone who you really respect their opinions of, even though they may be the complete opposite of you. And there is an organization that I do want to plug here that I think is perfect for this in particular. Friendly reminder, Green Team Party Radio is not sponsored by anybody. We're not partnered with anybody. There are folks out there that we support, but nothing is written in stone. This is a passion project. But Braver Angels, I have volunteered with them in the past, and their whole thing is bridging the divide and reducing political polarization. And they use that exact same scenario, Hannah. How do you remain civil at Thanksgiving dinner with a family member that you know is going to stir the pot? And they provide great ways to like how to politely express your opinion, how you bridge that divide by revealing your humanity before you launch right into your political opinion. I just wish it was mandatory in every college before you graduate, you have to go through a Braver Angel seminar. And obviously, you know, I'm not telling you to walk away from somebody that you completely disagree with, or if they're just being a jerk, I'm not telling you to like, you know, lay down and take whatever brandishing they give. But it's, it's learning just how to, how to find the humanity in somebody else that might not think exactly like you, whether it's not the exact same style of conservatism or whether it's like far left liberalism. You know, how do you interact with these people in a way that's civil and cordial? Yeah, 100%. It's nice to feel validated by people who disagree with you, if that makes sense. And especially yeah. all this demonizing of Republicans and conservatives has definitely been hurtful for plenty of us. If you are able to open up that space and be validated by this person who is a part of a group that had previously demonized you, it's very, 
I don't know. I want to say like forgiving or atoning, but it's It's refreshing because you remember that like, you know, even, even if you vote a completely different ballot from whoever you're talking to, you live in the same country, you care about the same issues. It means you're passionate. I love when somebody disagrees with me because that means they're passionate. So many Mm -hmm. young people are passionate about the wrong things these days. And I know I sound like such a boomer when I say that, but like, Whenever I see somebody who's super passionate, even if they're the direct political polar opposite of me, I love it because it means that they care. And more than being than just caring, they're getting involved. I love seeing that. You can learn so much about someone by just shutting up, is what I would say. You know? <laughs> That's one thing that our politics needs a lot more of, is just for more people to shut up. Right. Not saying don't exercise your freedom of speech. Please do that. But while you're doing that, practice your freedom of listening. Okay, so the next thing that you can do is to educate yourself. So if you have a very strong understanding of conservative environmental policies and principles, and a very strong understanding of environmental problems in general, you will be able to articulate your views clearly and be able to engage in informed discussions. When you're in a conversation with someone who has an opposite opinion of you, you'll feel much more confident than you would be. And then Practice effective communication. Try to hone your communication skills to effectively convey your conservative environmental stance. Focus on presenting evidence-based arguments and framing issues in ways that resonate with your audience. And then also stay away from inflammatory language or conversations that might not be worth your time. That's part of effective communication. Stay informed, keep up with the news, but don't let the news enwrap you. Keep abreast of current environmental developments, research, and policy changes. Being well-informed will allow you to respond to new information and adapt your advocacy accordingly. And then advocate for environmental solutions, conservative environmental solutions. Actively promote environmental policies and solutions in your community. Be prepared to propose and support initiatives that align with your beliefs. And that includes in any sphere that you want to. If you want to go all the way up to the president, you can try that. But I would (laughs) generally want to be starting small. And then build alliances. Seek opportunities to collaborate with individuals and organizations from backgrounds that you might not share. And when you're doing that, try to respect differences. Recognize that people have varying perspectives and come from different backgrounds. So it's essential to respect different viewpoints if you expect for us to be respected. The last few are to be persistent. Understand that advocacy for conservative environmental, environmentalism may require persistence and a long-term commitment. That kind of delayed gratification mindset is really going to come in clutch here. Change takes a lot of time and perseverance can lead to positive outcomes. Remember that what you're doing is meaningful and it's valuable, even if it's small and might not ultimately result in something huge coming about. Remember that everything that you do is important and meaningful because if it furthers environmental values and your conservative values, then it is meaningful to you and to the rest of the world. Lead by example. Remember to demonstrate your commitment to conservative environmental values through your personal actions. Stay logically consistent and have some integrity when it comes to environmentalism. Reduce your own waste, conserve your energy, support sustainable environmental practices in your daily life are other ways that you can be an activist and then also feel like you're having a positive impact on the world. And Katie touched on this earlier, but stay true to your values. Don't compromise your core beliefs to fit in with a particular group or ideology. 
authenticity is crucial. Remember that advocating for conservative environmentalism in a predominantly liberal landscape can be very challenging, but it's also an opportunity to contribute a unique perspective to the conversation. By taking care of yourself and staying committed to your values, you can be a more effective advocate. For Nailed it. Nailed it. So, Katie, do you have any recommendations for our listeners or for me? I always learn stuff from good stuff from me. <laughs> well, um, I've said in the past that folks should legally have to submit proof that they've completed a Braver Angel seminar before they can register to vote. So I'm going to recommend that everybody listening go and check them out. Braver Angels, as mentioned earlier, is a nonprofit geared towards bridging the political divide. Again, I swear they don't sponsor us, but I just think that highly of them. They're very, very powerful, really, really help decrease polarization. And they are at braverangels.org. Super great organization. Go check them out if you're involved in politics. Yeah, that would be super awesome. I think I have never checked them out before, and now you're making me want to do it. Check out Braver Angels, like Katie said. We would love it if you guys went ahead and read the articles we have talked about in our episode today. We recommend reading Politics Seep into Daily Life, Negatively Affecting Mental Health from the American Psychological Association. The next article is How to Understand the Well-Being Gap Between Liberals and Conservatives by Musa Algarbi. It's in the American Affairs. Practice some good mental health care practices so that you can keep being a part of our Green Tea Party radio movement. Yeah, treat yourself, but not too much. Things are expensive these days. So treat yourself a little. Treat yourself a little with all this inflation. Anyways, Katie, I feel like that was a good episode. I hope that hopefully this helps some people understand the role of mental health in conservative environmental action and how we can be more resilient to a landscape that's not very friendly to people like us. Yeah, I think that mental health for conservatives tends to be the elephant in the room. So obviously, we'll, we'll continue to revisit this topic in the future, but hopefully this will kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how we feel and some of the ways that if you're going through what we did, you can get involved in your community and hopefully have an easier time than I think me and you and Zach did. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio and a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We couldn't do this without you, so thank you so much. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have an organizational sponsor. We're just building a movement because we want to change the world. And we want conservatives to know that they have important things to say about the environment and about climate change. We also want you guys to feel like this can be your community that is like-minded. So that's why we're building a community, a radio show, and a movement, is so that people like us have a safe space. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you both. Not you both. There's not just two of you. There are hopefully more than two of you. If there is two of you, we love we love you individually. But we just love you all dearly, and we really appreciate everyone who listens and supports our radio show. I don't have anything to add to that. That was real good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm just so tired today <laughs> from driving all yesterday and We're from hiking all and week. Talking about mental health. Today. No, yeah, I seriously am solo energy. I hiked all last week in the mountains, went to Glacier National Park, 
but I did it on a rumbly dumbly belly and it was not good. Yeah, no, I'd have died. Well, the, only, the only time I ever went hiking, um, and I didn't even intend to go hiking because people of my build do not go hiking. I was studying abroad in Spain and they were like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take a little walk. That is literally how they worded it. We're gonna take a little walk through the Pyrenees Mountains. And I was like, oh, so we're gonna like go through the base of the mountains. Nope. We, we hiked across the border following a rainstorm. I fell everywhere. I thought, I, I literally, I had this moment where I was like, oh my, oh my word. I'm about to be on international news as that fat American kid who had to get airlifted out of the Pyrenees Mountains. And I was just, I was like, oh dear God, please, please don't let it be me. Please let me get through this and just go home and like, just, just get over it. And I remember I was like, please Lord, give me a sign. I felt something like touch my head and I looked up and it was a donkey. I have no idea where this donkey came from, but this donkey was like eating my hair. And I was like, I've never been so overjoyed to see a donkey in my whole life. And I was like, okay, if there's a donkey here, there's gotta be its owner nearby. I don't know why my brain was like, this is logical. Go find the donkey's owner. And like, I just followed this donkey around like a madman in, in the Pyrenees mountains in Spain until finally it like, led us down this path and we came over the hill and, and our first step at the top of the hill was on concrete on asphalt and i was like oh humanity is nearby civilization is close we went inside this little restaurant and the restaurant owner knew our teacher and was like what are you american out of shape kids doing here and we were like we went on a leisurely quote quote walk that ended up being six hours and they gave us food and we went home all the best for us, and I will never hike again. <laughs> that, that was a long round.